Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning. Scott Luton, Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Gregory, you're back. You're here. You're present. You, you signed up for duty today. And it's so good to have you back from your road travels and the beach, the Midwest, uh, solving the world's challenges. How you doing today? Well, I can't lie. As painful as Sunday was, it was also a bit of a relief because going back and forth from Kansas City over and over again was, <laughs> it was I mean, it, it, it's a lot of travel. I literally got back to Atlanta on Monday and left again on Thursday. So, but it's great to be planted. And it's also, of course, great to be back on the buzz and or and back for the buzz, but also for uh, supply chain today and tomorrow with Mike Griswold. So I'm looking forward to working with Kelly on Monday. Yep. But I'm also looking forward to the amazing format you have in store for Mr. Griswold today. <laughs> well, not wait. I can't wait either. Uh, one of our favorite longtime. Uh, collaborators and guests here. In fact, one of the first recurring guests, monthly guests here on Supply Chain Now, way back when. I bet, I bet we've been at it now. I don't know, a couple of years. It seems like Greg. And well, it, it feels like it. And and I'm trying to think of this. This is a great. I have a great question for Mike Griswold when he gets gets here. So. <laughs> okay. So Supply Chain today and tomorrow with Mike Griswold, the one and only uh, with Gartner. And today, as Greg mentioned. Is alluding to it is ask Mike anything day. Yes, you heard it straight. Ask Mike anything here today. This is your chance to pose your question. You're got to know with one of the brightest minds in industry. And, and we can say that because we know Mike uh, that well. Uh, we get a lot of feedback yeah. from the market each time he joins us. So, Greg, you've got your question. We've already got, we've already been assembling some questions. We're going to be monitoring all the folks in the skyboxes, right? In the cheap seats, seeing what questions they come up with. I already see Kavan and James are there. We're going to say hello to the folks uh, in just a second. But before we all do that, let's, we got to share a couple of programming notes. Is that okay, Greg? Well, I mean, we got to do, we got to pay the bills. So let's do it. <laughs> right. Let's do that. So, folks, if you tuned in, uh, a couple days ago for the buzz, which is every Monday, 12 noon Eastern time, where we cover some of the biggest stories around global business. Well, you would have seen Mark Holmes with InterSystems. Now, Greg, I know you were still on the road in KC, but man, Mark brought it. We were talking supply chain spider web. We were talking about harmonizing and normalizing data. So then you can get it into the hands of the folks who need to make good decisions today. And, and that was just tip of the iceberg. So back by popular demand, Mark's joining us, uh, Greg and I, February 11th, 12 noon Eastern time, talking about data at the heart of supply chain resiliency and agility. Greg, looking forward to that session, right? Yeah, of course. I actually caught Mark's segment while, uh, well, I caught the replay of it. So I was, I was not, I was in the air when it was live, but, <laughs> uh, but I caught the replay of it. I'm really looking forward to it because, you know, harmonization 
harmonization. I think it's right. It's something we've been talking about for quite some time. We know it's important, right? Keeping your data aligned both internally and between enterprises is so critical, especially since as if we didn't know the supply chain was global. Right. The last couple of years and a half have really <laughs> shown us that it is. You're true. It's, it's right. It's, it's meme status these days, right? All, yeah. all non-supply chain professionals are talking about supply chain. That's a good thing and a challenging thing. But nevertheless, y'all join us 12 noon Eastern time, February 11th, free webinar. The, the link to join is in the comments. And then let's see if I can use the right mouse. Always don't have more than like seven mice around your computers. Uh, I've worked myself down to four and it's still, still challenging. Too many time. devices. Too many devices. We look at two right here. <laughs> so we're going to be at the Reverse Logistics Association Conference next Expo next week. Uh, Greg will not this time, this go around, but we'll be there interviewing I've been banned a few from folks. Vegas, Scott. That's the, <laughs> that's the problem, right? I'm like George Carlin. <laughs> <laughs> With better jokes. No, uh, but we'll, we'll be there interviewing some of the movers and shakers across that uh, important aspect of global business, right? The returns management and reverse logistics space. You can learn more at rla.org. I want to touch on that here in a second. Nominations are open. 2022 Supply Chain and Procurement Awards, right? The One of the few awards programs with tons, truckloads of purpose, shiploads of purpose, right? We have built these awards all around our mission, joining forces with Hope for Justice and the mission to eradicate modern slavery and human trafficking. There's a small fee to nominate your company or your individuals in your organization. Those fees get donated, all of them, to Hope for Justice, right? So uh, we've got nine different categories. Nominate, nominate, nominate until March 1st. That's the deadline. Greg, looking forward to this big event, right? Yeah, I love the fact that the nomination fees are going to a good cause, and this is a great opportunity. The inaugural supply chain and procurement awards. That is right. Right. So it's uh, this. It's a good cause for recognizing supply chain and procurement globally. Right. Any country, any person, That's right. any business eligible, and all yeah proceeds go to a good cause. So. No boundaries, folks. No boundaries. Learn more at yeah. supplychainprocurementawards.com. Just that easy URL, supplychainprocurementawards.com. And a tip of the hat, of course, to the nonprofit Hope for Justice Buyers Meeting Point, which is our partner there for the, you know helping to facilitate the awards and art of procurement. Okay, so Greg, let's say hello to a few folks before we bring in Mr. Mike Griswold. Kavan is tuned in. Kavan was dropping. He had a new article published uh, the other day. Oh, really? The title. Sure did. Come on, drop the link in here. Yeah, that, that's a great call out, Greg. Kavan, uh, I saw it on LinkedIn yesterday. I can't remember the title, but drop that link in the comments. We'll share it with folks. Uh, James Malley from Brooklyn. Uh, Brooklyn. He is, <laughs> I didn't say that right, did I? Uh, I think of good pizza and bad baseball. I think of Brooklyn, the movie. <laughs> Brooklyn movie. Uh, just kidding, James. James is a Mets fan. Uh, you know, they got new ownership up there. They, uh, as I uh, was sharing with uh, James the other, the other day, they they were, you know, signed. Oh, there's a pitcher they signed right before the lockout. And I cannot remember his name. Formerly with the Nationals, uh, Max Scherzer. They signed Max oh, yeah. Scherzer. Wow. So, yeah, right before the lockout. So, James, we'll see if that, if that carries over. If we get to see baseball this year, uh, don't hold your breath, perhaps. Donna is tuned in. Donna, uh, Greg, the former executive producer at CNN. 
She is right. PR marketing extraordinaire and a Hall of Fame Braves fan. And a Hall of Fame parent. That's right? true. As, yes. As, as as folks will know, Al, Allison Krejci's mom. So uh, that, Allison Krejci Gibbons. So, yes. Sorry. We'll go with all the names. <laughs> all the names. Her husband uh, will really appreciate that. No kidding. AKG, uh, the one and only yeah. Allison Krejci Giddens. So great to see you here, Donna. Appreciate all that you do. She's she's standing there with the Braves trophy too. Jason T. Hopkins, Alabama fan in D.C., uh, big time supply chain uh, practitioner is tuned in here today. David is back with us. Hey, how about that, Greg? That's good to see. It is good Welcome to see. Welcome back. Good to see. Welcome back. Great to have you here, Dave, and hope you're staying warm up Feels in Feels like Canada. Groundhog Day. <laughs> and more on that in just a moment. Emma <laughs> tuned in from Chicago via LinkedIn. Great to see you there, Emma. Uh, Kavan oh, dropped Buffalo. that link. Yeah. But, <laughs> oh, yeah. Kavan dropped Thanks, the link into the comments. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Y'all check that out. Gene Pledger is back with us. And uh, hello. Welcome, everybody. Uh, even the folks we couldn't mention. Oh, NA, Northern Alabama. Sorry. Yeah. Right. <laughs> We've had a lot of fun with that. Not you LA. me off NA. guard with that one that time. Yeah. <laughs> Gene, welcome, Kavan, everybody. So, Greg, with no further ado, you mentioned Groundhog Day. That might be a little bit of a clue where we're going to start here with our featured guests, but let's welcome in Mr. Mike Griswold, Vice President Analyst with Gartner. Hey, hey, Mike, how hey, you everybody. doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Great to see everyone. Great to see you. How does it feel, Mike, to be in demand? Uh, it feels good. It, yeah. And I'm, <clears throat> I have a couple of thoughts as we get into how we're going to open the, the segment around whether or not this was a good idea of mine, but I'll, <laughs> I'll expand on that in a little bit. But yeah, it's, it's great. You'll know and, when you get my questions. <clears throat> and, I, and I appreciate people carving out time in their busy days to spend an hour with us. Yeah, awesome. No awesome. It's uh, always with... great. We get to learn a lot from you, Mike. So. Agreed. All right. Really quick. Dave and congrats on the new job. I'm sure you've been busy several full plates. So great to have you here. Michael Key from Texas via LinkedIn. Great to have you here, Michael. And Colleen, thanks for being back from probably chilly Minneapolis. We've enjoyed your contributions uh, earlier. Okay. So Mike, we're going to, uh, the, the starting off point, Mike and Greg is going to be probably a familiar refrain because today folks, today is Groundhog Day. Now, rather than talking about the, you know, is winter going to be long and, and shadows and stuff? For me, that brings Groundhog Day, the movie, one of the classics that was released in 93, of course, with Bill Murray, where he's driving here with Poxitani Phil. I think I said, did I say that right, Greg? Poxitani? That's right. I think so. Poxitani Phil. Uh, and Andy McDowell, who happens to be from my home state of South Carolina, one of my favorite uh, actresses, instant classic. This is the scene where, you know, if y'all have seen the movie, Bill cannot get I can't remember his character, Phil, I think, whatever. He can't get out of Groundhog Day. He keeps repeating time and time again. He gets bored, and he, he does some crazy things. Y'all check it out if you hadn't seen it. But what I want to ask, with it being Groundhog Day, Mike, and then you, Greg, is what is your, if it's not Groundhog Day, what is your go-to classic movie from the 80s or 90s? So, I, I two, <clears throat> one, one to kind of react to kind of what we're going to do today, right, when you tee it up is... There's a there's one of my favorite all time lines in the second Jurassic Park movie is, you know, taking dinosaurs off the island is the worst idea in the long history of bad ideas. <laughs> o opening this up to, to kind of 
the the participants questions i may look back and say this was like one of the worst ideas i ever had <laughs> but to your question scott and i and i before we, we came online i talked about we have this huge debate in the griswold household and it comes up at least once a month 1998 i believe is the year saving private ryan which is my all-time favorite go-to Ooh. 90s movie it wow. came out i think it was 98 maybe 99 there was also a movie that came out called shakespeare in love and much to my chagrin shakespeare in love beat saving private ryan for best picture and my wife really? rubs that in my nose every time <laughs> shakespeare in love comes on and every time saving private ryan comes on i tell her how much we were robbed from the best oscar, uh, oscar award that year so Say, uh, Saving Private Ryan, easily my my '90s go-to movie. Awesome! Oh, I love that, and I love that little rivalry you and your wife have. Greg, I'm coming to you next, but really quick, I got to share a couple of quick comments because going back to Groundhog Day, James Malley is Johnny on the spot. Don't drive angry. <laughs> Don't That's try. such a great, great line. And then Phil, Phil Connors, uh, you know, oh yeah, such a, <laughs> the insurance guy. Is that you? <laughs> Uh, am I right or am I right? Am I right? Am I right? You know, it's such a great, all the characters and the character actors in that movie just makes it. So, all right. So, Greg, uh, Mike has shared his. Uh, clearly, one of my favorites is Groundhog Day. What's yours, Greg? Uh, it has to be Tombstone. Yeah. The greatest buddy movie of all time, just my opinion, you know. Um, but I mean, there are so many. You know, if you get, if you include the 80s, there are a lot of great movies. Bull Durham. The greatest love story of all time, the man who loved baseball and the woman who loved him. You can quote and every line from that movie, Greg. I used to be able to. I, I can tell you that I completely agree with the notion that there ought to be a constitutional amendment outlawing the designated hitter. <laughs> for both leagues. I'm with you. For As long as it's for both yeah. leagues, it's got to be the same. But little known fact, Mike, I don't know if you knew this, and I don't know if folks out there listening to us know this, Greg White played baseball in college and pitched, right, Greg? No, not pitch. Not, no, no, I no. thought you were a pitcher. No. I'm getting my no. facts wrong. We Outfielder. had some awesome pitchers. but yeah. Outfield? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I was left bench. <laughs> so, so, we, so when we make the comment, Greg, you're coming from left field, then that is partly true. It's literally true. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good to know. Good to know. Well, you you're you're stoking some fires, uh, some embers in the comments. Where Don did is you like, hear yes. Anyway, no, <laughs> <laughs> no DH, no DH. That's right, Don. Uh, <laughs> John, good good to see you, John. Strikeouts <laughs> are face uh, fascist. Love that, James. James is, is keeping it coming. Ned, Ned, Ned Ryerson. Uh, love that. Okay, so. As much fun as we could have with movies and whatnot, um, I want to get started with some of, some of the Ask Mike Anything. So again, folks, get your questions in, whatever you want to ask Mike here today with additional commentary from the one and only Greg White. Bring in your questions. Um, we've already pulsed uh, some of our ecosystem, some of our community members, and some of our team members. So I've got a little list I'm going to start with. But if y'all are ready, bring your questions. So Mike. Well, real quick, if, yeah. if this is my last episode, it's been great. <laughs> I know that your answers will be good. Yes, so. they always are. We always, away. Get, <laughs> we always get so many t-shirt-isms when uh, Mike Griswold joins us. So I'm going to start with the first one. So this comes from Amanda. 
So Amanda asked, hey, prior to Gartner, what was one of your favorite positions that you had in your career? So before I was at Gartner, I worked for a supermarket company called Shaw Supermarkets, uh, located in um, Massachusetts primarily, but the New England area. And it was through working for them and the Albertsons acquisition that I ended up out here in Idaho. But the job that I had at Shaw's that I loved the best was uh, we called them strategic process leaders. Basically what, what our role was, and it really is how I got introduced to the supply chain, is we acted as the liaison between a business unit. For me, it was the supply chain and the IT department. So it was my opportunity to, to listen and be involved with the supply chain and understand kind of how it worked back then and what their needs were, primarily from a systems perspective. So, you know, we, we upgraded our computer generated ordering system and being involved with kind of understanding the requirements and, and being able to to work with IT around, you know, kind of the, what what functionality did we need? It really gave um, me an opportunity to, to see the supply chain. I ended up doing that um, in the finance group as well, which was not nearly as fun um, as the supply chain. But being able to, and I think in some ways, clearly not knowing anything about how life would transpire down the road, but being able to to have that role, I think, set set me up to be an analyst. You know, being able to to listen to challenges, help craft solutions, and then translate that into kind of a technology solution where appropriate. That was probably the the best experience I had when I was at Shaw's. Love that, uh, Mike. You, you never know the role you had, which tees you up for the rest of your. Uh, Hall of Fame career. Um, I've got a question from Emma, and we're going to we're going to try to get as many questions in, so we're going to move pretty fast. But Greg, before I get Emma's question, I know you've got a question for Mike, and I am just inquiring minds want to know. I want to know what you want to pose to Mike. Somebody should well, have their have, finger on the the beeping button just in case. I have I have a lot of questions for Mike, but uh, I'm going to start with a simple one first. Okay, how long good. have we known one another, Mike? Oh, uh, that's a really good question, Greg. It was, it's been a while. I mean, I've been at Gartner 15 years. It'll be 16 in September. And I'm guessing you were at AMR each other that. probably, yeah, that's including the AMR time. Oh, it is. Okay. I, I, I'm going to say 10. I'm going to guess 10, Greg, because when you and I first met, I think it was at one of an AMR conference in Arizona. When we yeah. when we were talking about you know who Blue Ridge was and all that kind of stuff, so I'm thinking oh, ten. Right. I'm thinking ten. Yeah, that sounds about right. I I I honestly would have to think back to when that was. I know um, I met you and Kevin, whose last name escapes me, about Sternicke. the same. Sternicker. That's right, Sternicker. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, okay, so that was an easy one. So see, <laughs> I you. threw you a softball. Thank you. <laughs> So, so that's why you didn't play pitcher, Greg. <laughs> all right. So, all out. Those yeah. would have been all out. But, uh, but, but man, when that team needed a call to be overturned, I bet you were the secret <laughs> weapon off the bench. All right. So we've got to pose this question from Emma. And by the way, Noor, great to have you here today. We're doing well. Uh, we welcome your contributions and comments and your questions uh, to the one and only Mike Griswold. So this comes from Emma. 
Emma says, hey, Mike, I'm a good friend of Alec Diabs, currently preparing myself for an Amazon internship as area manager. Any mm. advice? Yeah, I mean, I, I think when when I think about kind of how we interview right people and and what we're looking for, I think the advice I would give you, Emma, is is understand to the best of your ability within that role, what does success look like? Not only from the perspective of Amazon, right? What does Amazon, how would Amazon define success for that particular role? But how do you, how would you define success for yourself within that role? Because mm. it really, you know, what we're finding today as we talk to people uh, coming into Gartner is that there are definitely now two sides of that employer and associate contract. Yeah. It's what does the associate, what does the company, how do they um, describe success, right? For a particular role, but it's as important for the associate to define what does success look like, look like for them and be able to understand kind of when that's happening, how it's happening. And, and frankly, how long might it take to get to the things that you want to get to? So mm. I think understanding both sides of that transaction around what does success look like is really important. Excellent answer. Emma, great question. Greg, I want to get you to yeah. add to that. What, what, what else would you add? Yeah, I would say, as it sounds like you're fairly new to management, I would tell you that I the same thing I tell every new leader, you are not a leader because you have authority. You are a leader because people follow you and you right. need to endeavor to be the kind of leader that people would follow, inspire them, guide them, lead them, take the bullet for them is probably one of the most important things you can do. Mm. Yeah, Greg. Advice. Yeah, Greg. That's a great point. I mean, I think I was put into a team manager role. I've been a team manager now for just over a year. And one of the things that I have to work on, which aligns exactly what you said, is I need to move from being a manager to being a leader. Right. We have, we have a new program right. at Gardner, Leaders as Teachers. Right. I think teaching, coaching, mentoring, those are all elements, I think, that that people are looking for out of their manager as they as they are part of the team. You know, I think the managing to metrics, I think, is important. But I think if you were to fast forward, Emma, and ask and ask your team kind of what do they think of you? What they're what they're looking for is what Greg said is is how are you going to lead them and teach them and coach them? That's really what they're looking for out of managers. Mm. I believe. Love that. All right. So to follow up here, Emma says that she is a junior at Northern Illinois University and she is pursuing Salukis. I was just going to say that the Salukis. <laughs> She's pursuing a tech engineering industrial supply chain management degree. Outstanding. It's a great Emma. school for that. It is. Let us so Emma. Let's close the loop. Let us know. Uh, how these next this, yes. this new endeavor plays out, for sure. and uh, love for you, love that you're here with us today. Uh, and good morning, Jose Montoya, who hosts Coffee Break Logistics. They had a great show on business and life peels here recently. So good morning to you, Jose. Great to have you back. All right, next question comes from Mr. James Malley, uh, a founder of Pacurate, which is a really interesting um, startup doing some big things. He says, hey, Mike, are you seeing more large companies willing to take a chance on emerging tech from startups? It seems to vary wildly depending on the organization. Your thoughts? 
Yeah, I, I would suggest it, it's exactly the latter, right? That that it does vary widely. We've been doing mm-hmm. some research, and and one of the things that I've been talking about as part of the top twenty-five research is when I look at top twenty-five companies, they have a framework that they look at around technology, where they look at technology in three buckets. What do we want to pilot? What do we want to re-examine? And what do we want to scale? If you look at some of our Gartner research, we have this mm. framework we call the hype cycle, right? Which actually does that. It plots technology across its its life cycle and where is it from the standpoint of, of being scaled and, and kind of mainstream adoption. So mm. I think it does very widely. I, I would suggest that companies that do it well, though, are willing in that piloting stage or in that piloting you know, group of initiatives to take and look at some startups, some newer technology. And if you think about, if you were to look at the hype cycle, that initial um, upward trend of the hype cycle, there's a lot of technology categories that are dominated by startups. Think of some of the stuff in machine learning and AI, some of the stuff right. around blockchain, some of the things around IoT. So I wish I had a better answer around, you know, other than it depends, but it, it kind of does company by company. Outstanding. Yeah. Outstanding. And I like Jose's point here. We cannot pretend that with a single leadership seminar, everyone <laughs> becomes a leader. That's right. an excellent point. Kind of uh, uh, compliments Greg's point earlier. Okay. And by the way, you know, we were talking about Northern Illinois, great school earlier. Mike, I just connected with Brian. I think it's Fugate is how he pronounces his last name. I could be wrong. The pride of Sycamore Valley, uh, Sycamore Valley, Tennessee, but he's currently leading the supply chain program at the number one ranked University of Arkansas. And Greg, um, we're going to be interviewing uh, him and his students in the next few weeks at some point, but you spend 10 minutes with Brian. I mean, forward thinker, engaging, creative, you know, really passionate about finding ways of engaging those students. No, I mean, no wonder they uh, have grown uh, in quality and quantity in terms of uh, enrollees for a number of years now. So Greg, looking forward to knocking that out with you. Yeah, that'll be fun. You know, I've talked to the deans of several over over the years, some of them long since retired now (laughs) um, at Michigan State and Penn State and Stanford the, you know, the old standards. And um, they are both challenged and uh, irritated by the fact that that Arkansas is is number one. And I think that is actually a good thing because, you know, one of the uh, statistics I learned is it's really hard to break the top three or five, right? It's always Harvard, Yale, Princeton. Um, and it's really hard to break that because the, the tradition of being at the top is so ingrained and it takes so much to overcome that. So they've done something yes. really special at Arkansas. And I think it's a good challenge to the old old guard. Excellent. Point. So, so if I could put in a shameless plug, we are we are updating that. That's a, a body of research we do every other year. So right. in 2022, at our supply chain event in June in Orlando, we will be unveiling the 2022 college and university study for the supply chain. So we will see where Arkansas lands and, and the others that the perennials that you mentioned, Greg, it is interesting. I don't know if I, if I talked about this at all in any of our previous episodes, but when that came out a couple of years ago at a, at a couple of Arkansas sporting events at a football game 
and at another event, there were signs saying number one supply chain school. Yes. That's kind of how we knew supply chain was now becoming cool, right? Is when wow. they, were, they were advertising that they were the number one supply chain school. Yeah, it was pretty cool. He broke the sign Very out cool. on our on our little conversation yesterday because now the go. sign is traveling the world <clears throat> yes. and, and it's become quite a uh, a branding uh, vehicle. Yes. But great work there in the University of yep. Arkansas. And I love the research y'all put into that. Sounds like every other year, Mike. Okay. So moving right along, uh, Greg and Mike, this is going to be kind of a, um, uh, not exactly a question with a fine point on it, but just okay. recently, you know, so return, we were talking earlier about returns management, reverse logistics. And of course we know the, the e-commerce uh, behemoth there, you know, that's going to continue to grow wildly. We all love that. However, we also know that uh, returns pose poses a big challenge when it comes to our sustainability and circular economy initiatives, which are so important to any you know any supply chain team. Here recently, uh, I, and I'm not going to name the company. I, I, I bought a new laptop, loved it, loved it. I've used this company, you know, going back years. Monitors, laptops. However, I wanted a second uh, plug. I have now ordered the wrong plug three times, and you know what? I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. But I was putting in my Google, I was, I was tracking down Reddit reviews. I went to the company. I put every part number I could find on the back of the adapter to see if I couldn't match something up three times. And I'm returning the third one now. And it's, it just, it kind of re-illustrated uh, re the point that companies, we can really limit uh, downstream the challenges we have in, in uh, getting returns and pro getting them back, number one, and then processing them if we can make it easier for the consumers, even the ones that want to do their homework and hate returning stuff like I do, make it easy for them to get exactly what they need. I'd love to get your comment there, Mike, and then yours, Greg. Yeah, I think one of the areas that we're doing a, a, a lot of research on this year is the circular economy in general with a couple of analysts on my team. And I think one of the things that I've learned kind of through osmosis in, in talking to both of them is companies that, that do circular economy well or, or have that kind of principle baked into their, their DNA, it really starts with product design and mm -hmm. designing the product at the beginning of its life with how you see it ending its life. Whether that's we're going to, to try to find a way to scoop these back up from consumers, re reprocess the plastic, maybe let's just use it maybe as a laptop example, right? So when you think about kind of how the consumer is going to use it, how the consumer is going to dispose of it, and how they may use it in their day-to-day -day life, it helps you simplify things like the power the power supply, right? So you don't have to transact three times to get an additional power source. I think oh, there's the, going to be a fourth one. I still <laughs> haven't solved it. Just, You're kidding me. No. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, I, and that to me is it, that design element, I think, is what separates kind of more mature companies when they're thinking about the circular economy than maybe companies earlier in their journey. Companies early in their journey are thinking about what do I do with the, with the dead product, right? There, and they haven't really thought about what could I have designed differently so that it's easier to dispose of. And even now, the question that we're hearing from more companies is, I need to figure out how do, how do I design for reuse at end of life, right. not right. disposal. Because yes. disposal is now kind of a four-letter word, even though I know it has more than, than four letters. Because of all the landfill implications and all the other 
hazardous, you know, potentially hazardous material right. ramifications of just, you know, pitching these old laptops, just as an example. So yep. it's definitely, um, at least from our perspective, a really hot topic. Agreed. All right, Greg, weigh in on that. Well, so I happen to know this brand. Their founder's name is Mike and they were founded <laughs> in Texas. So, but I won't name them. Um, and I happen to know that a little bit about how they source their product and, and, and a lot of companies source their product, not specifically your laptop, but a lot of these companies now never even touch their own product. It's sourced and, and constructed in foreign lands and then shipped directly or semi-directly through the uh, maybe a warehouse or maybe direct ship to the consumer. And a lot of times, speaking of data harmonization, Scott, the brand owner may not even know what the product, you know, what the, the plug, some of the right. peripherals are for this product. So I'm not sure that they can help you. They certainly should. As And to Mike's point, let me give that a big amen. They ought to be designing these products for customer success as well as for, you know, for the return or lack of returnability or whatever, your sustainability of the product. Yep. And I think that's a that's still a deep flaw. So that goes to this data harmonization. They certainly could know what the part number is right. for that product. They certainly could provision for the possibility because d data and technology exists to allow them to say 7% of all people who order this part number want a second power cord. They could certainly provision for that. But it's even possible, Scott, that the part that you're looking for is no longer being made We've all been frustrated by mid-year run changes where <laughs> right. you know they change the plug outlet or something like that. It's very possible that that's the case. And that company, which shall remain nameless, named again for its founder <laughs> named Mike, um, not Griswold, um, <laughs> they may not even know what that right. part is. And they may nev never have laid hands on it. And they may not have, Mike, to your point, designed it themselves. They could have completely contracted out the design of that product. And that's where companies need to take greater control of their supply chain yeah, and Greg, merchandising. Yeah. Maybe Scott, one quick reaction to that. You know, I think when I talk to some of our, my manufacturing colleagues at Gartner, you know, I, I think one of the things that they wrestle with when talking to manufacturing clients is the complexity of the bill of materials and how do you manage on one hand, we want, a less complex bill of materials, but on the other hand, we also want to be thinking about circular economy. Right. And I'm I'm not going to sit here and tell people that we have an answer for that. But I think what I will tell people is is as you're thinking about things like bill of materials, you need to you need to think about how do I balance complexity with circular economy so that I potentially have a less complex and still sustainable bill of materials. Excellent points yep. all the way around. Uh, going back to something, uh, harmonization. Every time I don't know about y'all, every time I hear data harmony, I'm thinking of Stevie Wonder and Paul McCartney, <laughs> Ebony, and, Ebony Ivory, and Ivory, right? Oh, maybe yeah. it's just me. Um, it's a great okay, song. couple. <laughs> it is a great song, right? A uh, couple quick questions, and Jason, uh, I'm gonna come to your real question. quick, yeah, real quick, please. and then you can go to the question because because I I'm at the age, I'm the oldest person, I'm sure, probably on the show today. <laughs> So if I don't spit it out, I will forget. We should do we should do a show. We did we did which I loved. I thought it was great doing movie quotes and movies as they relate to the supply chain. We should do something around songs. 
Yes. And like Highway to Hell. Boom. Yeah. We could do a show on Highway to Hell as it relates <laughs> to the supply chain. There so maybe Amanda, keep us honest. At some point, if we have a month, we don't know what to talk about. Let's do a show on yes. songs as they relate to the supply chain. Oh, I'm going to one up you. So we'll do that next month in March. And <laughs> folks, if you don't okay. have questions for Mike and Greg, drop those comments inspired by song lyrics in the comments. <sighs> and we'll see just how funny because our, our audience is world class. We'll see how much humor we can we can get out in the next 20, 30 minutes. Um, can I just, okay. I, I'm sorry. Let Greg, me just, yeah. one, just one thing. I'm sorry, yeah. Scott. <laughs> I am longing again for the day where in supply chain, we don't have much to talk about. Mm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent point. This is supply right? chains yeah. that or, don't make the Or headline. nobody is listening. Remember, I remember those days sometimes somewhat fondly. Nobody <laughs> yes. is listening, right? <laughs> supply right. chain is still under the radar. No one's talking about it. That's a great, great right. point, Greg, as always. All right. So Emma asks the question, uh, really more of a comment. You can have the most intelligent product, but if no one knows how to use it, uh, or replace it, I would add, what is it really worth, right? It, it creates Emma's more Emma's going to do waste. just fine in yes. this business. <laughs> You're just right, Greg. Uh, Gene says, uh, kind of what both Greg and Mike were talking about, extended supply chain strategy sometimes makes customer service a nightmare. Had more experiences lately with that. Gene, I, I bet many of us have. And he mentions uh, Sears, uh, right, right on Greg, <laughs> Sears. And so that all of that leads me, to again, my next question. And folks, the challenge is to ask Mike anything or drop a song lyric with some type of supply chain tie-in to in the comments. Okay, next question comes from our dear friend Kelly Barner, host, fearless host of Dial P for Procurement, also leads buyers meeting point. And she says, okay, I would like to know why normal grocery goods are out of stock but the Valentine's Day stuff has been in supermarkets for weeks. The Easter stuff will probably be up by Tuesday and Halloween candy two weeks after that. But just try buying normal juice boxes in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts. Yeah. So any comments there, Mike? Yeah, that's a that's a fair, very fair question. Great observation. I'll give you my perspective. And then certainly I'm sure Greg has some thoughts as well. If I think about, I mean, and the, the products you gave are, are great examples. And I would add to that, that do not be surprised when all the lawn and garden stuff shows up, right? So we still, you still can't get your juice boxes, but if you need a new gas grill or you need, you know, lawn fertilizer, right. you, will, right. you will have, that will be an abundance. Just no patio furniture. Just no, no yeah, patio exactly. furniture. Exactly. And, and I think the reason for that is, is those types of, of seasonal slash programs have been in the works for a while, right? That stuff was the the typical retail uh, organization, you know, plans for those big events, you know, Valentine's Day, Easter, Halloween, all those, they're usually planned about 18 months in advance. They're usually not, there, there is usually less of a demand signal process. I bought, you know, a million dollars worth of Valentine's cards, Last year, I'm going to buy a million one in Valentine's cards this year. So there's not the sophistication around the demand signal. So we can place those orders with some degree of confidence a lot earlier in the process. So those those particular seasonal programming type of things, they've been in the works in a while. They've been bought ahead of time. They've made their way already over here from wherever mm. they were coming from. Cards may not be a good example, but when you get to some of the the seasonal stuff like lawn and garden and those types of things, um, 
that stuff with a little bit longer lead time, that's already made its way over here. So mm-hmm. chances are that stuff, it was already sitting in country for a while waiting for, I would agree with you completely, the all too early signal to put them in the stores. The more traditional stuff, the juice boxes, everything else that we want that we can't find runs through a fairly normal supply chain, which is now struggling with demand and supply issues. So mm. Right. That's kind of my perspective on on why we see what we're, what we're seeing. Masterclass, Greg. I'm coming to you next, really quick though. I got a reward. Uh, you got to be careful what you ask for. I love this from our dear friend Sandy Lake. You can't always get what you want. What a great uh, supply chain yes. tune. And yes. Sandy, I love that. Uh, I hope you're doing well. <laughs> that, By the way, that is awesome. It and awesome. Uh, Georgia Logistics Summit is coming up. You know, Sandy's part of the Georgia Center of Innovation for Logistics here. Sandy, would love for you to drop that link as that summit's coming up uh, just about a month and a half away. So great to see you, Sandy. Okay, Gregory. So we're talking yeah. uh, seasonal products. Your take? Same. It's essentially the same answer as Mike. Mike, were you a merchant? Were you ever in merchandising in retail? Well, I, I well. No, but I spent more time than I cared to with the merchants. So some stuff just kind of through osmosis kind of worked its way over. So store ops, personally, store ops, which at which point you're irritated with everyone. Oh, yes. Yeah. Merchandising. <laughs> yes. We were we were the greatest sinners. And then in supply yes. chain, sinners converted, always irritated with merchants yes. and store ops. So, yeah, I, you know, from a merchandising perspective, some of those programs are built years in advance. So the product is actually defined sometimes even more than 18 months, but the process has started um, well well ahead. And my, I can only guess, but they have a lot more slack in the, in the, lead, in the lead time component right. of the planning for, for those kind of products. And as Mike said, it's a one and done shipment. You either get it or you don't. Or sometimes you get it late and you have Valentine's right. in June, <laughs> which didn't happen to me. I never had to buy Valentine's, but it has happened. Um, it's a great deal. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why. And, and you know, the, the persistent demand of these items that are, you know, that are constant have been really difficult. We've talked to a number of chief supply chain officers right. who have products you would expect to be on the shelf at all times. But demand, consumer demand, and remember, consumers are the beginning and the end of the supply chain. Consumer demand has shifted around so much that it has made products kind of uh, more volatile, even high volume products, way more volatile than they have ever been in the past. And when you build a model uh, for volatility, you don't have as much safety stock built into the inventory because the demand is so level. And I think that has some effect even on some some high volume products. And of course, we continue to have a labor shortage just in the States, 11.6 million jobs open. Hmm. So, and remember we were 2 million jobs open before the pandemic started in supply chain alone. Wow. Yeah. I think, I think the other thing I'll piggyback on Scott is, is the, the demand piece. We, we also saw for some of these more traditional products, just a complete, deviation of what a traditional demand signal looked like. We saw saw hoarding as an example. Mm -hmm. And I think what that hoarding mentality was quickly transferred to other types of products. And to Greg's point around, you know, trying to minimize 
you know, safety stock and that type of stuff. It's just going to lead you to those types of situations. The other question I would have is, and this is really a question I don't necessarily, I don't know the answer to this, is to your point, Greg, on labor, there's a big difference between not having the juice boxes on the shelf and not having the juice boxes in the store at all, right? Because in some of these instances, <laughs> some of these instances, because of your point, which was a great one on the labor side, you know, we could have juice boxes in the back of the store. We just, we just don't have a body to bring them out. Right. So that, that could be another element to this, that, you know, it's easy to look at an empty shelf and say, what, why haven't they ordered more? And, and that could be part of the problem. But I, I also think there is an element of labor in terms of just getting this stuff out. Agreed. Uh, a lot of good stuff there. Uh, John Perry, love John since he went crazy train. <laughs> Uh, Ozzy Osbourne, right? <laughs> so love that. Uh, and Sandy Lake, uh, March 16th in making the Georgia Logistics Summit. Y'all check that out. Okay. So Greg and Mike, man, our time is drawing now. We've got about uh, is it really? a, few, a few more wow. minutes with Mike. Uh, and I'm going to ask, uh, let's ask, let's take this question from Amanda. Amanda's asking some good questions. Eh? What supply chain challenges that we are currently experiencing do you see as being resolved in the next year and what challenges are here to stay? Mike. I, I, I think I'll, I'll take the ones that are here to stay. I think that's the easier one. I think it's talent. We have most organizations are wrestling with, with talent gaps. Uh, I think that is a problem we're going to continue to have. Greg mentioned the number of jobs that are available. Uh, there aren't nearly enough supply chain professionals to fill those. And I think filling them, and getting them up to speed is something that we're still going to deal with for a while. I, I do have a lot of faith to the first part of the question that we will get the demand and supply piece sorted out. I think the, the people are going to either with outside entities help or not, they're going to declare the pandemic over. You've already mm. started to see it in Europe, right? And as soon as that happens, we will start to see, I think, a returning to somewhat normal of a demand and supply rhythm and cadence. Yep. So I, I see that getting more back to normal over the next, you know, six to eight months. The talent problem, not to be over dramatic, that to me is is an easily a 12 to 18 month challenge that we're still mm. going to have. Mm. Excellent point. Uh, Greg, give us a quick answer because I'm going to get Jason's. Jason, to your point, had a great question here a moment ago. Greg, your take. I think it's a knowledge gap. Is I mean, which is rel related to the the talent issue. We're gonna um, we've lost 3.6 million more people from the workforce last year than we expected to, and 95 percent of those people were 55 and above, mm. and that was the knowledge base that was largely non documented yeah. for all of these roles. So we've lost access to that knowledge forever, and we're going to have to start over again, which is fine because we don't teach history in school anymore anyway. So I think these younger generations are, are much better at making it up. So, that, but that will continue to haunt us, right? Those who do not study or aren't able to learn history from yeah. the people who lived it are doomed to repeat it. So we will have some recurring issues in all industries because of having lost a lot of that knowledge. Yep. Agreed. Now, you know what? Hey, we have a resource for you. If you want to Bone Up on History, This Week in Business History, one of our podcasts here at Supply Chain Now. And get this, Greg. And nice my segue. 
Yeah. How about that? Uh, Greg, Greg, you had not heard this yet. So I was talking to Kelly Barner earlier today who posed that great question to Mike a moment ago. Yep. She did a, a wonderful story on the history of the beer can, everybody's favorite beer can. That episode, she received word and an invitation from, I think, the New England Supply Chain Conference, NESCON maybe, to present that story at their annual conference oh, in October. How wow. cool is that? Kelly uh, is the Ann Rice of uh, supply chain and, <laughs> and business writing for sure. Okay. Excellent. So, uh, Greg, you had a great call out here. Jason T. Hopkins, our D our Bama fan, finds himself in DC, has a great question. And I'm gonna get both of y'all. I think he's trying to, to put us in. out to pasture at the same time he has a really prudent question, Mike. <laughs> right. So Jason T. Hopkins, uh, great to see you here today as always. He says, as you grow into retirement eventually, and I'll put extra emphasis on eventually, how does it sound to you to consider becoming an adjunct professor of supply chain to young people? How do schools retain aging talent? to keep corporate supply chains uh, experienced, but also fresh. Mike, your take on that. Yeah, I, I think it's a great idea. I think to Greg's point, I mean, th there is a lot of supply chain knowledge that is rattle rattling around in people's heads that isn't put to paper or whatever, some other electronic medium right now that we're in the, the 21st century. The other thing I, I would ask, you know, companies to consider is, is what is, the representation of your board with people with supply chain experience. And, you know, as, and, and again, I, I'm not looking to be on boards, but I think there are a lot of, of people that are getting to the point where they want to exit the supply chain in a formal way, but have a lot to offer in an informal way, right? We, we, we see the, dy the, the dynamics and the makeups of boards shifting, becoming much more diverse, much more inclusive. That's all super important. I'm just not sure if you were to canvas most companies' board of directors, what level of supply chain expertise do they have? Mm. And to me, that's going to become critical. Excellent point. Hey, really quick, uh, Greg, before I come to get your take, David says, retirement, most of us will have to work until lunch the day of our funerals. <laughs> uh, the economy goes the way that yes. they're predicting this year. That couldn't yes. very well be true, even so if you Greg, have Bitcoin. Yeah, but, but hey, really quick aside, I would love, I mean, both of y'all, uh, and again, eventually we're talking in 50 years, you know, to have Greg or Mike as an adjunct professor would be so cool. You know, Dan Barry was an entrepreneur when I was in college, he had, he had a chain of furniture stores and we learned so much from how real business worked and he, and he really loved doing it and it made the experience so much better. So, um, anyway, Greg, your take on Jason's question. So I've actually had that request. Uh, made of me before. And I am just so deathly afraid of academia because I was a horrible, horrible student, horrible <laughs> student. And I've thought about it. I have thought about it before. Um, and maybe, you know, if, if it's someplace close enough, Wichita State asked me if I wanted to do that. And it's just, it's a difficult commute. Only during um, football season. To be there in person. So yeah, I mean, I got to tell you, it's a it's actually a very good gig, Mike, if you've ever considered it. They pretty much do everything for you. You just kind of set the criteria and you show up and throw up and and somebody else grades the papers and does all the really hard work. So um, it, I mean, it's possible. I, I think I'd I'd want some guidance on on how to do it. And I'm still considering sure. it. But can you imagine the next generation? instructed by me i'm not sure that the world is ready for that yeah oh yeah. goodness 
Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure either, but on the flip side, I think both of y'all have plenty, plenty to share and could be, you know, Howard Hesman. I, I shared about this, this the other day, you know, Johnny heavy class, yeah, Johnny fever, iconic role, of course, which was based on Atlanta DJ, by the way, I didn't know that, but for me in the eighties, head of the class was one of my favorites uh, shows. And, and he played uh, Charlie Rogers or Charlie rich was the name of the character. It's his teacher that just went above and beyond so practical. So trying to you know help the students fill in that blind spot of their passion or talents, whatever, both of y'all I think could be a teacher like Charlie. So we'll see, we'll see what plays out. You can tag team it, Mike. So neither yeah. one of us has to do yeah. too much showing up <laughs> golf, <laughs> golf, a uh, couple hours and, yeah. and teaching the other, uh, there you and go. by the way, <laughs> by the way, that's how you pick the university is one with a great golf course, Mike. Yes. <laughs> So to be determined, we're not closing this chat, this chapter just yet, the subject matter just yet. We'll see what how it plays out. Mike, it's twelve fifty-five. I know you 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 probably have a one o'clock. I'd like to. Um, how can folks you know connect with you and learn more about what Gartner is up to? Yeah. So if we go to if they go to Gartner.com, there there's a lot of stuff on there, particularly around our events, which I think a lot of people could get a lot out of. Um, not only the supply chain events, but the other events that we do. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, gradually getting better and better at that from when we first started two years ago. And then certainly email is fine. Mike.Griswold at Gartner.com. Awesome. Well, we, we love our monthly visits uh, from Mike and everything you bring yes, to the table, uh, the, the, uh, the practical side, right? Been there, done that. And then, of course, all of the, the powerful research and data and consultancy they all do at Gartner. Uh, Mike, until next time, we already have our theme. Uh, right. Thanks for your time here today. Mike Griswold, Vice President and Gartner. Thanks so much. Yep, bye-bye. Thanks, Mike. Good seeing you again. You too. On the money, once more, on the money. That swoosh machine is just awesome. making it happen. A couple of quick comments. T-squared, thank you. Howard Hesman, the late Howard Hesman. Yeah, Charlie Moore was his, that Charlie name. Rice was a, no, Charlie Rich, sorry, was a country star. Remember him? I do. You've <laughs> got to kiss an angel good morning. Oh, man. Look, mini concert right here with the one and only Greg Wise. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Amanda says, I think all three would make excellent professors. Who knows? We'll see. Donna says uh, that she's been an adjunct. And, and gosh, you know, Donna, former executive producer at, at uh, CNN, I can only imagine yeah. all that she could add. Uh, she says, students need professionals like you, Greg, Scott, and Mike to tell them about the real, real world experience. You should consider it. We shall see. Let's see here. I want to go back to um, Emma says, Greg. A lot of students will be be able to relate to you. I completely agree with that, <laughs> Emma. So I can teach horrible students how to be supply chain. <laughs> oh goodness! Uh, let's see here. It's okay. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Back on the theme. Music. There Help. we go. By the Beatles. That is a, a great one, Clay. Supply chain tunes. Not just anybody. I need somebody. Not just, Not just anybody. anybody. <laughs> uh, oh, Jose is asking. Is, is participating and ask Greg anything. He says, Hey, where's the cat? She's downstairs somewhere. I think uh, maybe outside. Um, <laughs> we have a bird feeder. She likes to camp underneath that. So, Hey, can I, I, I have to, I have to give a plug to Mike Griswold, especially to James Malley's point earlier um, around technology and navigating the world there. So what Mike does is he advises both practitioners um, meaning the retailers and the distributors and the manufacturers in the industry and technology companies. And I can tell you that 
and this is an unpaid endorsement. He was an incredible help to me and my company in understanding the needs of the marketplace and positioning um, ourselves for that and building the solutions that they need. So that's really the value that Mike brings. And having been a practitioner, and I mean a, a very experienced and esteemed practitioner in supply chain is hugely helpful. It, you know, we had a lot of practitioners in our company, but Mike maintains the perspective of your customer and prospect and marketplace. And uh, that's so hugely valuable. Plus, they have incredible access to resources and research to help you really understand things. And a lot of times when you're in James James's position, a relatively new company, you have to wing it. But if you can wing it with a little, even just a little bit of objective research, that is enormously helpful to the positioning of your company. So excellent there you point. Have it. That's Both sides point. of the table win. That's what mm. I love about what Gartner does. Mm. I'm glad you shared that. Uh, it, it's a very critical context as we view uh, Mike Griswold and Gartner. And, you know, cause there's, there's also I'm not sure that people know just exactly how important Mike is in supply chain, particularly retail supply chain. So. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, and there's so many analysts out there, right? And you never know. You don't always know what you're going to get, but Mike, Mike sets the standard, I believe, uh, to your point, Greg. Okay. So we're going to wrap on this here. Uh, and Emma, we'll have to get to Six Sigma uh, later. I love those questions around that. And then we saw some questions around certifications. We'll have to jam that into the next hour. I want to wrap here because I want to save everybody's time. Greg, and also post that in, in the supply chain. Oh insiders. my gosh, what the heck? Our group, Insiders. Yeah. yeah, our supply chain insiders group and have them give you some insight. Excellent point. Yes, excellent point. So Emma and uh, I can't remember who was asking about certifications earlier. Join the insiders group on LinkedIn and pose that there, and we'll see if we can't shake the trees for some um, some advice. But there you go. I want I want to really double down on this event right now, Greg. We are in nominations mode, right? Nominations. Yeah. We want to we want to celebrate uh, global business while bringing a lot more attention to modern slavery and human trafficking. Um, and we can accomplish both. We got nine different categories. Folks, it's 200 bucks to nominate a company or an individual. And that $200 is donated to Hope for Justice, the nonprofit that is, um, uh, it's got great scores from Charity Navigator. They're doing what they say they're doing, right? That doesn't, it's not always the case with some of these nonprofits where, you know, it's 90% overhead. You won't find that at Hope for Justice. So you can do two things, right? You can uh, submit your company or your individual amongst those nine awards, give them some visibility, you know, celebrate what they've been doing in these challenging times to move the organization and the industry forward while making a donation. It is a beautiful a Potomac two-step, right? So go to supplychainprocurementawards.com, learn more, and uh, make sure you get those nominations in before March 1st. Greg, your last thought before we sign off here today. Convoy. I don't know if everybody saw what was going on in in Canada, but that whole sort of trucker protest that wound up in, in Ottawa just made me think of the song Convoy as more and more and more trucks lined up for that. And I, I think, it, you know, whatever, however you feel about whatever these mandates are or whatever they are, I, th I think it's good for groups like truck drivers to peacefully express their position and, you know, uh, advocate for themselves. It's a great, it's, it was just really, really interesting to see. 
And of course, you know, I, I think as we as we go as we kind of navigate these times, I, I was interested to see that Mike said, and I'm not really aware of this, that they've essentially declared the pandemic over in Europe. So I think that's a really interesting. I thought I saw you go for your keyboard there to go <laughs> to check that out. But I think we should all take a look at that and kind of see what the status is. And I'm hopeful. I'm continually hopeful because everybody, it seems like, is getting Omicron now and everybody's response seems to be the same. It's like a really, you know, it's like a really bad cold. So I'm Green. hopeful that that this thing is slowly, you know, our, our immunities are being built up and slowly it's becoming another version of the common cold. Hey, I hope that is exactly what's going to play out. Uh, but a lot of good stuff there. A lot of big stuff, uh, good stuff over the last hour or so. Big thanks to all the folks that took the time to pose questions and comments and some tunes, including this one from Dave and Keep On Trucking by Eddie Kendricks. That's a great one. And a big thanks to, of course, the production team and Mike Griswold with Gartner. We love him joining us. I think the first Wednesday of each month is our frequency and cadence there. Greg, great to have you back on the yeah. East Coast, right? Good to be here. Thank you. You bet. Loving, still loving your new studio there. Um, folks, whatever you do, right? If you don't do the awards, if you don't, um, you know, find other, important thing, you got to find other ways, right? You got to find other ways. You know, we're charged with moving the needle and driving real change in supply chain, global supply chain, right? NN is in a unique position to tackle the, the uh, issues of our time. So whatever you do, hey, challenging you here, do good, give forward, be the change that's needed. And we'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, all. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.